This program is a part of the Full Press Radio Network. Find this and all of Full Press Coverage's shows on fullpressradio.com or free on the Full Press Coverage app, available now on the Apple and Google Play stores. This is Tony Maselli, Pro Football Hall of Famer. You're listening to Clark and Ira on iTest for Two podcast. Well, welcome to the first December broadcast of the iTest for Two. I'm Clark Judge. I'm Ira Kaufman. And we are, as you should know by now, both Hall of Fame voters, joined each and every week by our Hall of Fame producer, Mr. Ian Glendon. And guys, I'm not sure you noticed last week, but former quarterback John Hadle passed away at the age of 82. Now, I know some people don't know who John Hadle was, but Ira, they should. (laughs) They really should. Um, I mean, if he were to play today, he'd probably have his own Instagram account with millions of followers. And he might, he might even get free chicken sandwiches at PDQ in Tampa. Maybe. It was a lot of fun watching those AFL games, Clark, in the mid-60s. NBC, Kurt Gowdy, yeah. Aldero Goddess. And it was an exciting brand of football, Clark. It, it was. And what do you think the chances of him getting PDQ chicken sandwiches for free are? Uh, I would say uh, 85% positive. He'd have to get in line behind you, Ira. Anyway, (laughs) uh, you know the thing that people don't know about him is that he was a remarkable athlete. Uh, He went to Kansas University, played his college ball there. But for his first two years, he was a halfback. In his last two years, he was a quarterback. So in 1960, he was an All-American halfback. 1961, he was an All-American quarterback. Um, But it doesn't stop there. He led the country in 1959 with a 45.8 punting average. He still holds the KU record for longest interception return. That's 98 yards because when he was playing halfback, he also played defense. And he still holds the KU record for longest punt, which is 94 yards versus Oklahoma, as I said. An extraordinary athlete and one of only three Jayhawks to have his number 21 retired. And all right, that's what I remember about him, 21. You didn't see quarterbacks wearing number 21. But absolutely. And, and uh, he, he could move in that pocket clock. He, he could, could move. move. He could. And he moved in the pocket when he went to San Diego. That's where the charges were. They drafted in the third round. He was a four time AFL All-Star, AFL champion. And then a first time team All-Pro in 1973 with the L.A. Rams. The charges had traded him to the Rams. They were 12 and two that year. Well, three times he led the NFL or AFL in passing yards. Twice he led them TDs. And when he retired, he ranked third in all-time passing yards. He's in the College Football Hall of Fame. He's in the Chargers Hall of Fame. And the Pro Football Researchers Association Hall of Very Good. But is he Hall of Fame worthy? And Ira, that's why we've got our next guest to answer that question. Someone with us who watched John Hadle play for many years, and that's Hall of Fame or former Hall of Fame voter Nick Canepa, UT columnist with the San Diego Union Tribune. Nick lives in San Diego, grew up in San Diego, and certainly watched John a lot. And Nikki, I know you've heard me ask this before, but John Hadle, Hall of Fame. Lance Ulrich said several years ago that John was in the top three or five to play the game. And that's a quote. Is he wrong? Well, um, let's just say, you know, I don't think he was, I, I don't think he was a, very good player. I think he was a great player and a great athlete. And like we were talking about in the green room before we went on, uh, the uh, 
you know, it's, it's different eras. I mean, if John Hadel were playing today with Lance Allworth, I, I hate to even think about it. You know, that's all we think about now are people with one-handed catches and no nobody touching each other at the line of scrimmage. I mean, if you ever saw Willie Brown play Lance Allworth, I mean, he was he was he was beating the hell of them all the way down the field. I mean, yeah. it, you know, it's or trying to, let's say. But no, I, I are there quarterbacks in the hall who aren't as good as John Hadle? Absolutely, and and uh, you know, he was yeah, he was an iconic figure here. I mean that, and in and in the AFL because uh, you know the AFL epitomizes wide open offenses and. And they were the most wide open of all the offenses because that's what Sid Gilman did. But he well, he, he could run, he could throw it, and he could if they needed him at safety, he could do that too. Yeah, I really don't know why he, he should have punted all the time. I mean, yeah, he was uh, he was a, he was a great punter. So you know, you know, I you know, I sat on the Hall of Fame committee for a long time and saw some of this stuff. And, uh, and I put, a lot of times, and like we were talking, Jerry McGee was a longtime NFL writer and in the hall forever. He used to push for John to be in, and and he never he never made any headway. So, um, you know, he's probably never going to make it, but that doesn't mean he wasn't a great player. Yeah, no, you're right about that, Nick. And and you talk about Jerry; he's not the only one who is pushing for him, as you know, and as Ira knows, Lance Allworth has been pushing for him for years. We spoke to Lance about, I don't know, five or six years ago. And I remember what he was do- talking about at that time. He said the two best players not in the hall were Johnny Robinson and John Hadle. And he pushed for both. And Johnny Robinson, of course, did make it. He was elected in 2019 as a senior candidate. But John Hadle hasn't been. And frankly, as you mentioned, Nick, I don't think he's got a chance today because he had more interceptions than touchdown passes and he completed 50 percent of his passes. And with this group, and I'm talking about the voters being younger, they simply look at those numbers and go, forget it. Let's move on to the next one. So I don't think he really has a prayer unless the senior committee somehow digs him up. Uh, Well, you guys have been watching the game forever. Answer the question. Is it how much harder is it? Was it to play quarterback then than today? Yeah, right. I mean, yeah. it, it was much harder. Well, Nick, remember when Chris, those Chris Hamburger was elected? Remember all the video they showed of oh, Hamburger? Oh, that was hysterical. Every one of them, he's taking a quarterback's head off. Yeah, <laughs> I mean, there were there were almost no rules back then. I mean, we see stuff on, on old film that guys would be thrown in jail for today. So, no, Nick, I mean, it's really hard on the offensive side, I think. With, with all, we, we got all these do, receivers. Uh, we got all these receivers with these remarkable numbers. Yep. And and what are you going to do with them? I mean, I'm, uh, these guys are great athletes who, who, uh, who have wide open spaces. And you got quarterbacks who throw it straight. I mean, watching the, watching Tom Brady the other night. I mean, they gave the game that they gave the they gave the game to Tom Brady at, at the end of that game. You just can't let him sit there and throw the ball. I mean, you just, you just can't. And but 
you know, it is what it is. And it, it's disappointing. That, that, look how long it took Cliff Branch to get him off. I mean, it, 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 I couldn't talk to anybody, any cornerback in the early 1980s who didn't think he was the best receiver in the league. And there were great receivers in the league. So some guys slipped through the cracks. I mean, I've, I know I've told you guys the, the, the Jimmy Johnson story. Um, back in the early back in the early 90s, I think it was 93 or 94, there was a, a, a meeting of all the Olympic gold medal decathletes who were still living uh, in uh, San Diego. And you know, Rayford Johnson, who was Jimmy's brother, and, and uh, you know, Messias to me, all, all, all of the guys, Jenner, all, Jenner when he was a man, um, and uh, I'm sitting next to Rafer in the stands of a of golden of golden gym in Point Loma, and I ask him why isn't Jimmy in the Hall of Fame? And he he looks and he goes, "Yeah, why is that?" And I said, "Well, back then I I really didn't know, except I knew, you know, that the media voted for it." And uh, he said, "I'm going to write letters." Next year, Jimmy was in. He slipped through the cracks. I mean, you know, it just it just happens, and it's a, as you well know, both of you know, it's a very frustrating process. So, Ira, you've got to explain to Ian because he's much younger than you or I or Nick. Jimmy Johnson is not the Dallas Cowboys former Cowboys coach that he's talking he, he about. He was a corner for the Forty Niners, and, right. and a great one, and a great, and a great one. one. Hey, Nick, um, Nick, let's be honest here, as we are on this podcast. Um, and we can't dance around this. To me, there's one reason John Hadle doesn't have a bust, Nick, and it's it, it's his postseason, and it's not his fault necessarily. Nick, he, he only started two playoff games. He didn't win either of them. The first one was against Buffalo. Nick, as a charger, uh, they lost 23 nothing. And then with the Rams, they had a heck of a team that year. And they go into Dallas, even though they had a better record than Dallas. Uh, they didn't get the home field. And John had a bad game, and, and they lost that one. So, Nick, postseason, really, a lot of times it could put you over the top or, or hurt you. Oh, I, 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 that's pretty obvious. I mean, after the mid – you could argue that the, that the Chargers were the best AFL team through the first part of the 1960s, uh, but Buffalo became better, and uh, San Diego was still exciting. And you know, I think you know it seems like like Hadel is has has caught the Don Coriel disease. You know, he didn't win titles, and and uh, and that's you know that's important. I mean, Dan Fouts never won a title. Dan Fouts drew five. I saw. I watched Dan Fouts throw five picks in two separate playoff games. And he's in the Hall of Fame. So, you know, but, but he was a groundbreaking guy. And, you know, the offense was unbelievable. And, you know, like I say, uh, I think they put too much emphasis on, on, the, on, the, on the quarterback being the reason for winning and losing. And, and once again, that's why they pay them the big money. Nick, talk a little bit about how the Chargers were kind of stuck 
in that AFL West, the AFC West, um, during the uh, latter part of the 60s. Nick, they're behind the Raiders and the Chiefs. I mean, that's just the way it is. They, 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 they were both better teams. Uh, you know, the Chiefs on defense and the Raiders. And, um, you know, and then Hadel stuck behind Namath and Dawson and LaMonica. Um, the Chargers just weren't good enough, Nick, uh, those years. Absolutely. But do yourself a favor when you get time. Look up Sid Gilman's draft record. He was a terrible drafter. I'm, I'm, I mean, uh, you know, Al Davis, Al Davis recruited Lance Allward yes. to the Chargers. I mean, I, I hate to think what Al did, but, um, you know, he was assistant coach with the Chargers with maybe the greatest coaching staff of all time with Chuck Noll and Al Davis and Sid Gilman, but they, they didn't have the players. Well, he, 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 uh, he passed it. Uh, he passed over Alan Page for. Uh, God, I can't even think of the guy's name now from Wyoming. Uh, yeah. You know, he 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 drafted Marty Domry's them. I mean, his he drafted uh, Bo Matthews number one. I mean, his his draft record is not good at all. You know, but and that's the reason. You know, he didn't have the players he used to have. So. You know, maybe sit at the end was, kind of kind of got Bobby Becker disease. You know, he just outsmarted himself. Nick, how popular was Hadel uh, for most of his career with uh, with the Charger fan base? Well, I mean, he was very. I mean, uh, you know, the Chargers during that period were the only game in town. So, you know, the Padres didn't didn't come into being until. 1969, and they stunk. Right. Um, San Diego State, San Diego State used to used to draw there. When, uh, during the Coriel era, they were, you know, they uh, they were very very popular. But no, I mean those those guys, you know, in the in the era when in an era when you know we weren't getting we weren't getting the all the uh, the internet stuff, yeah, he was he was a he was a very popular guy, and and you know he wasn't all worse, but and who was? So you know they had Paul Lowe, they had Keith Lynn, they had you know they had the original fearsome foursome. Um, um, you know they were Gary Garrison. They had Gary Garrison was a great player, great receiver, the ghost. I mean he and was Ron Mix and and Ron Mix and, Nick and Ron Mix Ron Mix. Hall of Famer Ron Mix. I mean, they had Earl Faison and Ernie Ladd, and uh, it was you know it was a it was a an exciting, wonderful team. It was a great brand of football, and 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 John was John was the leader of was was the leader, and you know the shame of it all is he just he just kind of disappeared into the. Didn't John go to work for Kansas after after he got out? I can't even I remember. I believe he did. I believe yeah, he, he did. did. He did. Um, Clark, uh, one more quick one for Nick. And, and uh, I know you were going to get to this, Clark. So, uh, once again, uh, I'm cutting, cutting in line ahead of you. Uh, Nick, you mentioned Sid Gilman. And, you know, Clark hinted at this. The relationship between Hadel and Gilman was a very strange one, Nick. I mean – 
They draft this guy, they sign him. He has a bad year, and then they go out and get a veteran in Tobin Rote. And then later on, Nick, they they bench him in 66. What 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 was going on between those two? Boy, I don't you know, I really don't know. I wish Gary was around to, to uh answer that question, but uh, Tobin Rote won him the title. So um you know, granted they had Keith Lincoln and Paul Lowe, but and Lincoln had the game of his life in the uh, play in the championship game. But you know, Sid was Sid was a different kind of guy. Not not everybody got along with Sid. I did. I mean, I met him later on, much later on, when he was when he was finished coaching, and he was a football freak who watched who watched film until the day he died. But you know, he was he was a uh, he was not the not the the you know, not a not exactly the prince um, that a lot of people thought he was. So, you know, it's just one of those. It's just one of those things that uh, happened between a player and coach. That you know, you have a a great competitor and a and a, and a great coach, and they're they're going to clash every once in a while. And you know, I don't I don't know. I I I'm just guessing that Joe Montana didn't always agree with Bill Walsh. I'm just guessing. Because I don't know. You think? <laughs> yeah, of course. We're speaking with we're speaking with Union Tribune, San Diego Union Tribune columnist and former Hall of Fame voter Nick Canapa on the eye test for two. And Nikki, since you referenced that '63 season on uh, the championship, and we talked about Tobin Rowe, Tobin Rowe did win him a championship, but Hadel played in that game, and that game I'm talking about was the 51 to 10 route of the Boston Patriots. Ian doesn't remember that, but he's a Boston guy. Um, but they they destroy them in that game in San Diego. And I guess my question is, 63 team, how good was it? Clearly it was the best in the AFL. Could they have beaten the Chicago Bears, which won the yeah, NFL championship? Absolutely. Absolutely. I think they would have outscored them. I, you know, I mean, you know it's all you know they were really good, and and they had they had great you know they had great offensive talent and a really and a really good defense. I mean, um, back in the back in the early '60s, their their defense, uh, well, they're 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 still crammed into the record book with all the returned yards for touchdowns, uh, interception touchdowns, and 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 yards returned and on. All kinds of stuff. They were they were exciting, really, on both sides of the ball. They were. I think they would have beaten that Chicago team. Of course, we'll never know, but it's something we talk about still, sixty years later. So, um, yes. But remember, at Tobin wrote kind of. If you ever saw a lot of film of of, of Lance, almost all his great catches were because Tobin wrote couldn't throw the ball that far, and he's you know. <laughs> So Lance is, is is making all these sensational catches. So, yeah, I not even being a homer with this one. I, I, I think they could have beaten that Chicago team. Okay, and in the last John Hadel question for you is: He went to the Rams in '73, as I mentioned with Chuck Knox. They won a division. They were twelve and two that year. But then the following year. They traded him, and he was the uh, NFC Player of the Year that year. But they traded him to Green Bay in the middle of the next year, and you know what they got for him? 
Ira, you know what they got for him? They got for five John draft Riddle? picks. Yeah, they got five draft picks. A one, a two, and a three in 1975. And a one and two in 1976. It built the Rams into a Super Bowl contender. And it crippled, crippled the Packers. Wow. That's well, quite that's a haul for a Hadel who was past his prime, Clark. Oh, yeah, wait. That was prime. Yeah. But, they, you know, these people used to do crazy things. I mean, they, you know, they did, they did uh, crazy things with Herschel Walker. Yeah, that's right. And as Hadel said, he goes, Dan Devine was fighting for his life. And he was, and he sort of made a desperate trade. I got right, one I... more for our guest, uh, Clark. Um, Nick, uh, I, and I know you love this guy, and, and I do too. And, um, you know, here I am, 13, 14 year, years old, watching this guy, and I'm talking about Allworth. Um, Nick, a lot of people never saw him play. Uh, you know, there's not that much film of, of early AFL days. Um, Nick, I don't want to slight Jerry Rice. And Randy Moss and, and Owens and whoever else you want to throw in there. But, Nick, is it a stretch to suggest, you know, Don Hudson, of course, who we didn't see play. Uh, Nick, he, he takes his place right there. Lance Allworth doesn't take a back seat to anybody. I think, and I, I think uh, uh, Goose, Gock, Goose Gocklin thinks, I think he's the greatest receiver who ever lived. He does. Rick and, did say that, and you know, and just because he was, he was, uh, he was brilliant. I mean, he was probably as fast as, I mean, not as fast as Tyree Kill, but he was certainly as fast as most of the receivers in the league right now, and and just a great ath- athletic specimen. I don't even know if I remember right now. I don't even know how much receiver he even played in college. Wasn't he like a like a slot guy? They played that weird offense there. Um, yeah, but no, I I would love to see guys like Lance and and Paul Warfield and and people like that play in today's game. And and not not to slight Jerry Rice or 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 any any of these magnificent athletes who somehow get famous by catching the ball one-handed when John Jefferson did it every week in San Diego uh, without gloves that are like Gorilla Glue. Now, he, he, he can line up and play right now without one problem. He would, uh, he would start on every team in the NFL right now. Yeah, I, I couldn't disagree with you, Nick. I, I went over to see a friend of mine in New York City about 10 years ago, and he had films of the 63 Chargers, and I was watching Lance Allworth, and he said, nobody knows how good this guy was because it was with the AFL, and it was considered a renegade football league at that time. And I remember it because I did watch AFL games. I love the Houston Oilers. I love Charlie Toler. I thought he was cool. You know, he was a great kid, a great running back. And uh, I loved watching the Chargers because they were so wide open. But I had known about Lance Allworth. And, and you're right about what Nick's, uh, what uh, I'm sorry, Goose said. Um, he does think he's the, the greatest receiver of all time. But um, I want to ask you about one other uh, San Diego individual. And it has nothing to do with Sid or Lance Allworth or even John Hato. And that's Don Coryell. 
He's the contributor candidate for the class of 2023. And Nick, I mentioned this to you because as the former Hall of Fame voter from San Diego, you had to push him more than once in that room. And honestly, I think you pushed him four times at least because I think he was a six-time finalist. But um, you had to push Coriel's case and, and it was close a couple of times. We never made it. How surprised are you that he's the candidate this year for the class of next year, for the class of 2023? Because at some point it seemed like it just wasn't going to happen. Yeah. Oh, yeah. You know, you started, you really started to wonder if it was ever going to get done. I, I think the contributor thing is big in this mm-hmm. because I think Don gets in the Hall of Fame because of his contributions to the game. He changed the game. Right. I mean, you could, you could be watching football for another 10,000 years and every single game will have a Don Coriel element to it. Every time you see multiple defenses, Coriel. Every time you see a tight end split wide, Coriel. Although Ernie Zampezi had a whole lot to do with it. Um, but yeah, he, he changed the game on both sides of the ball. I mean, yeah. And, and that's why, Nick, that's he, why he, I do think he's, he's going to get in. Uh, in fact, I'm sure he's going to get in. Uh, I'd be shocked if he didn't, because the, what was always the, the the criticism that was brought forth by other voters? It was, oh, he didn't win a Super Bowl. You talk about championship, didn't win a Super Bowl. Oh, and by the way, he was three and six in the playoffs. And we'd say, doesn't make any difference. Uh, George Allen didn't win a Super Bowl either, and he was two and seven in the playoffs. But Don Coriel did change the game on both sides of the line of scrimmage. I'm right. Yeah, absolutely. I mean, I mean, you were there. You were there. Um, I'll tell you that it's. You could look at it if you're going to base the Hall of Fame on on winning Super Bowls. Then he doesn't belong in as a coach, but as a contributor, absolutely. Yeah. I mean, how many Super yeah. Bowls did Sid Gilman win? I mean, how many NFL championships and you know. Uh, he won the AFL title, which a lot of people just slip off. But no, it's 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 actually uh, it's a shame that it's going to happen after he passed away. Yeah, because no, he and not only that, he's one of the all time creatures of of football, as you will know. <laughs> I do know, and, and actually, we could have a separate podcast with Don Coriel stories because they are legendary, legendary. Um, Oh my goodness gracious! It was he was he was an amazing human being. <laughs> I, there are stories. On, you should have a whole podcast on him one day. There's it. It was uh, he was uh, he was the most intense. He might have yeah. been the most intense human being I've ever known. Outside of Ira. Outside of Ira, <laughs> of course. Yeah. Present company. <laughs> No, hey, Nikki, if, if if Coriel gets in the hall, are you going to Canton? Well, I'd like to. I wonder who would. I wonder. I'm just guessing that they would probably have Fouts do it. Yeah, I'm. Mean, you know? I'm too. Yeah. I mean, the Lord knows that Dan told me, and more than once that uh, that uh, he would have been out of football by 1980 if it wasn't for Don. I yeah. mean. Dan Fouts was nothing before 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 Don got there. And you know the amazing yeah, thing right. when he got to San Diego? It was almost instantaneous. I mean, he got hired during the year. 
I mean, not, it was still in September, the same day as the PSA crash here. Uh, and they were, they, they jumped on that, on that deep, on that offense right away. I mean, they, they, they were, they changed almost overnight and, you know, there was no, there was no time, uh, you know, three or three or four weeks or whatever to get used to the offense, which you hear all the time now. And it was a, it was not a normal offense back then. Uh, you know, I'll never, I'll never forget the 80, the 82 season and the, the year after, uh, the 49ers, I think it might've been their first Super Bowl win. They beat, they beat the Bengals. Right. Um, and they played the 49ers and the Bengals back to back. And um, they went to San Francisco and, and beat Montana. And they both quarterbacks, the Fouts became, Fouts and Montana both threw for 400 yards in the game, came down to the last play of the game, really. And the next week on Monday night, they put up 50 on Cincinnati. And that's when Wes Chandler had. 11 catches for 260 or whatever it was. And, um, and that offense, when it got going, oh, my goodness. It was it was something. Yeah, I remember that 49ers game. I don't remember the Bengals game, but I remember watching the 49ers game. When people talk about a great games today, was this the greatest ever? Let's rewind the tape and go back to 1982 and watch that that game that was played during the strike season, that was just up and down the field, Montana against Faust. That was a great game. Um, and it's yeah, reminiscent well, of, for instance, the Buffalo-Kansas City game, the playoff game last year. Yeah, Faust became the first quarterback to throw for 400 back-to-back. Yeah, uh, yeah. He scored 90. Reminds me of, uh, Clark reminds me of the Buck offense this season. Very, very, very similar. Very, yeah, very similar. They, yeah, they scored. They put up 400 yards in four weeks, didn't they? <laughs> Who's that? that? First team, I'm sorry, first team I to do that. that. The Buck? <laughs> yeah, are talking about the Buck? The Bucks, yes. They said that Ian and, and Ira are in Tampa, and they have to suffer each week watching the Tampa Bay Bucks offense try to cross the goal line. <laughs> they kick a lot of field goals, Clark. A lot of field goals. <laughs> hey, Nikki, Nick Annabelle. Thanks so much for the time. And maybe we see you in Kent, maybe not, but great talking to you. Hey, it's great. Great talking to you guys. Take care of yourself. I know Clark is, is uh, playing hurt today. So. Yeah. Yes, uh, he is. Thanks. Thanks, Nick. Thanks, Nikki. Take care of yourself. Thanks. That was San Diego Union Tribune columnist and former Hall of Fame voter Nick Canepa. And Ira, um, I, I love hearing him talk about Hadel and Allworth and those guys because today everything sort of the latest is the greatest. And and Lance Allworth in this game today would put be putting up twenty five hundred yards a year. I mean, with the, the rules the way they are, he was an extraordinary receiver. But Hadel was able to get him the ball. I didn't know that about Tobin wrote what he said, which is arm was shot. He couldn't get him the ball. But <laughs> but uh, but Hadel was was a was a much better quarterback than people know. In fact, I know Lance Allworth says I don't believe he got the credit he was due. He's correct, I think, because people look at the, the numbers. And, and the numbers back then were so much different because it was a different game. It was a vertical passing game, not a horizontal game. Look, didn't they have those powder blue uniforms? Yeah. Be- beautiful, beautiful yeah. uniforms. Yeah, beautiful uniforms and a great team. Whoa. Whoa. Are they cheering for Lance? John Hadle? 
No, Ira, they're cheering for you. They are cheering for you. This is our weekly I was there, or sometimes semi-weekly I was there. And Ira, where were you and when were you? Clark, this is going out as a tribute because we always react to uh, breaking news. And I was absolutely shocked yesterday. I don't know what you thought, but the, the Titans fired their general manager. Yeah. yeah. They're in first place comfortably. That would be their third division crown in a row. John Robinson, who was Jason Light's right-hand man in Tampa before he got the Tennessee job. And so here's my tribute to John Robinson, who I think did a very good job in Nashville. Clark, January 11th, 2020, not that long ago, your Baltimore Ravens closed the regular season with 12 straight wins. They're 14-2, and two, Clark. Right. They outscored their opponents by an average of 16 points per game on the season. That is a huge margin. So they're home, and here come the Tennessee Titans. The Ravens are favored by 10 points, Clark. I'm there. I'm there. The next thing you know, they're down 14 nothing before you turn around, Baltimore. Lamar Jackson doesn't look very good. He's the MVP of the league. He doesn't look very good, and he's turning the ball over. He threw two picks. He lost a fumble. And Derrick Henry, a nice little, a nice little night. Thirty carries, one hundred and ninety-five yards. Clark and Clark at the end of the game, you know, because the Ravens got some garbage points over there. Lamar Jackson, three hundred and sixty-five yards passing. 143 yards rushing. They had 29 first downs, and they lost the game 28-12. to 12. Clark Jackson threw 59 times. Ryan Tannehill threw 14 times. And the Titans win. John Robinson's, you know, and they're in the, AF, they're in the AFC title game. And the next week, Clark, they go to Kansas City, heavily favored Chiefs, and the Titans are up 17-7. And the Chiefs run off in their fashion, 28 straight points, and the Titans lose. But, Clark, John Robinson, there's got to be more to the story. Mike Vrabel's got to be involved. Could have been a power yeah. struggle. But, Clark, the Tennessee Titans have been a very solid team since John Robinson got there, and now he's out of a job. Clark. Yeah, and they weren't before he got there. They really That's weren't right. before he got there. Um, in that game, in Baltimore game, I think Derrick Henry also threw a touchdown pass, right? I believe he did. I believe he did, Clark. You're right. Absolutely right. You don't want to bring that game up with Ian Glendon on here because he remembers where Tennessee was the week before. And the week before, they were in Foxborough for Tom Brady's last game. Wow. Well, thanks for ruining this podcast, Ira. <laughs> Clark, I got to salute you because you're dealing with the health issue and, and uh, you could have called in sick today, Clark, but Good. you didn't. So bra bravo. Well, bravo. thank you. Final thoughts, Ira. Thanks. Uh, final thoughts are uh, the NFL season, Clark, is going to have uh, maybe a team uh, added of uh, the NFC South with, with a losing record because I think the Bucks are going to lose the next two weeks. They're playing San Fran and Cincinnati. And Clark, I'll, I'll, I'll end my remarks with this. Joe Burrow, and we all watched him last week, he is one heck of a player, Clark. He's going to win some MVPs before yep. he wraps it up. You know what his best pass of that game, I thought, was? 
was this final one. That third yeah. and 11, I thought they're yeah. going to run. They're going to run the ball yeah. because uh, Kansas City has no timeouts. That pass was in such a tight window. I wasn't sure it was completed when he first threw it. And then the guy goes down. I forgot who the receiver was. But I went, oh, my God, what a pass. And it was a rifle shot. And it was a great, great pass. Um, it could have been Higgins. It could have been Higgins. It could have been Higgins. Uh, either yeah. him or, or Chase. Yeah. Yeah. Um, I want to mention also friend of the show, Seth Wickersham, because he did a story on um, Andrew Luck this week, which is a great story for ESPN.com. One thing that jumped out of me in that story is something that Andrew Luck said. He was talking about his retirement and some of the regrets he had about the timing of his retirement and what he's on to now. But this quote really stood out to me, and it was Luck saying this, to play quarterback, you're not allowed to pay attention to anything but the task at hand. And that seeps into other areas of life, unquote. All right, that made me think of Tom Brady immediately because I thought, you know, um, it's probably what was going on with Brady and his personal life and everything. But um, Brady keeps playing and there comes a cost at some point. There comes a cost. And he, he paid the price uh, this year for, for playing again. I think that also applies, Clark, to head coaches. You, you got you yep, got to have talent. Right. And, right. you know, you got the Vermeils of the world, Clark. And then you got Tony Dungy, who used to go home at, at 630 at night and, and sleep very well. That that uh, that that they had done what they needed to do. And speaking of Brady, since he's going to San Francisco this week, the team that he grew up admiring and the, the quarterback that he grew up following, which is Joe Montana, Montana made news this week because he said he thinks Tom Brady could play till he's 60, 60, <laughs> 6 0, because he says, given how the NFL has outlawed quarterback hits, he can play till he, not till he's <laughs> our age, Ira, till he's our age. What do you think about you know that? You know what's funny about that, Clark? And we've been watching Brady for 22, 23 seasons. How many times, Clark, I'm serious. How many times can you remember where he took a devastating hit in the pocket? I mean, very, very few. Very few. I, but I don't study him as much as Ian, so you should direct that question to Ian. Ian, I, what I, about that? How many I, times does he really get clobbered? Well, I mean, I, the, 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 the toll that, re, you know, getting hit over and over takes on you, I'm sure has an effect. But yeah, to your point, I mean, I have to go back to, there's this clip of him scrambling outside of the pocket against Buffalo, uh, probably 2003, 2004. And I want to say Nate Clements came across and just launched into Brady and knocked his helmet off, but it's a great clip and, and Patriots fans will play it all the time because Brady popped right up, grabbed his helmet, went right back to the pocket. But Yo, that was twenty years ago, <laughs> you know, not not recently. And, and look, it, it's I think it's obviously you want your best players and everything to be upright and, and like that. But uh, yeah, I, I agree. Look, I, I hope he plays until he's sixty because you know I'm a fan. So I wonder if he's ever had a concussion, Clark. I wonder if Brady's ever had a concussion. There, there was uh, wasn't there a couple of years ago during the playoffs? Uh, I, I don't know if Giselle said something or yeah, was, someone it brought Giselle. it up about him having a concussion or suffering a concussion. Yeah. He might even said it kind of offhand in an interview and, you know, kind of slipped up a little bit, but I, I'm, I'm sure he has. It was his ex-wife and she said he had multiple concussions wow. and that created a furor. And he said, Oh yeah, don't, don't pay attention to that. Um, which is probably one reason why they're not known to write a couple of columns with concussions. right? Clark? <laughs> <laughs> Occasionally I'm doing this podcast with a concussion. So that's going to do it. My friend, 
feel better. Wait, thank you. That's going to do it, fortunately for you and for us. If you want to listen to this or any podcast, I Test for Two podcast, just go to our website, itestfor2.com or fullpresscoverage.com. Otherwise, you can find Ira and me right here at the I Test for Two next week. Thanks so much for listening.